Now, here's another awesome audio book that I just got done listening to. But first, the introduction. Welcome to the Gathering Strength Podcast, the podcast where I explore stories that inspire resilience and inner growth. In today's episode, I'm going to dive into the timeless novel, Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Join me as I navigate the treacherous terrain of a deserted island where a group of boys face the dark forces lurking, not in the jungle, not outside in the ocean, but within themselves. Discover the profound lessons this gripping tale holds about human nature, power, and the fragile balance between civilization and chaos. Man, this book, it is right up my alley. And I have been aware of this title, Lord of the Flies, I don't know, for a long time, maybe my entire life. But you know what? I have just had better things to do. I'm a busy guy. I don't have time to chase down all of these little interests that I have. But man, even though I'm arriving fashionably late, to the Lord of the Flies party. Hey, I'm glad that I'm here. Now, this is a, another title that I was able to pick up on the Audible app. A few weeks ago, they had a 85% off their entire catalog. And by golly, I spent a few nickels and dimes there. One of the books that I got was The Lord of the Flies. Now, this book came out September 17th. 1954. Lord of the Flies, a novel by William Golding, published in 1954. The book explores the dark side of human nature and stresses the importance of reason and intelligence as tools for dealing with chaos or the chaos of existence. Now, on one of my dark Iron Man training sessions, I came up with a philosophical quote that You know, I would love to believe that I came up with it because I have tried to verify it online. I cannot find it anywhere. So once again, I'm putting it out there. If you have heard this philosophical quote, let me know because as of right now, I'm taking credit for it. The quote is, life is chaos, but wisdom brings order. This book, Lord of the Flies, sheesh, they could have used some wisdom to bring order to all of the chaos that enveloped that uh, that island that they were stranded on. Before we get deeper into the book, man, let's analyze the title. The title of the book is Lord of the Flies. Now, if you like lords and if you like flies, you're going to like this book because it is called Lord of the Flies. But on the real, Lord of, Lord of the Flies refers to Beelzebub, and that's another name for the devil. Uh Uh-oh. Essentially, you are the lord of a worthless kingdom. Analyze, what what do flies like? Flies like dead carcasses, uh, turds, caca, and everything that is sick and revile. And to be the lord of the flies means that you are the ruler of a worthless kingdom. Now, who wants to be the Lord of the Flies? Satan. That is what 
the the devil is referred to as. You know, the Lord of the Flies, Be- Bezelbub. Uh, yep, that is a another name for the devil. And throughout the novel, the children grow dirtier and dirtier. This is an outward reflection of their inner state. Now, in the beginning of the book, these kids, they range from 6 years old to 12 years old. And they become deserted on an island when their plane crashes. And in the beginning, they all start to round up and gather around. And there is this boy who starts to become the leader. Now he starts to gather everyone around and he starts to, you know, unite everybody. And he's like, hey, we are all English men. We are the best of the best. We are distinguished. And it doesn't get any better than us. So we are going to live civilized. We're going to live to the best of our abilities. We're going to work together. We're going to have rules. We're going to have jobs. And he's the one who enacts like, hey, let's all vote for a, a chief. And that's exactly what they do. And they all vote him as chief. And therefore, he starts to uh, set forth rules and he gives people jobs. And one of the jobs that he he delegates is we need to create a fire because the smoke that arises into the sky that is going to allow for ships and airplanes to be able to see us and then they will come and rescue us. Out of all of the jobs, this is going to be the most important job. So he... You know, gives people jobs like, hey, go out and get firewood and bring it back and etc, etc. We're all going to contribute to constructing this fire. And at no point is this fire supposed to be extinguished. This is going to be our lifeline out of here. And they all agree, right? At first. Uh-oh. There they have a fire. And it, it's burning and... The author talks about how big the flames reach. You know, 20, 30 feet high. It's just a big-ass fire. And then time goes by, and then there is a ship that is out on the horizon. And the leader of the group, he's, he runs over to the fire, and he's like, Man, where, the, where are these guys at? Where, where are these kids at? They're supposed to be tending to this fire. And then so... He starts to tend to the fire, but by the time the fire gets going, the ship has dipped below the horizon and their opportunity to be saved has come and gone. Now a little bit more time goes by and the boys who were supposed to be tending to the fire, they come back and they have to answer to that chief. And they're like, hey, we were out hunting because we're hungry. And the chief says, well, you missed our opportunity to be rescued because you had one job to do. Your job was to tend to this fire. But the boy who rounded up the other boys to go hunting, he was like, well, we were all hungry. And now we're going to be able to eat. And now they're arguing back and forth. The chief says, hey, don't forget, I'm the chief. You all voted for me. These are the rules, etc., etc. Uh, let me assert my authority. And then 
this is the the line, the time where things start to slowly circle the toilet bowl into chaos. The boy who went out hunting, he says to the chief, he's like, why am I going to listen to all these rules when I'm hungry and also when I can be out hunting and killing? I guess there were some feral pigs on that island and they made the perfect uh, the, the, the perfect meal to sa- satiate the rumbling in their bellies. So he said once again, why follow the rules when I can hunt and kill? And now that foreshadows the chaos that, man, starts to take over that island. And as the story slowly progresses, the boys, they start to get dirtier and dirtier. Their skin, their hair, their clothes. Now, as they get dirtier, their acts become more vile and vile. Now, they initially attempt to establish those rules and maintain order by electing that that boy named Ralph as the leader. And... He's the symbol of authority, and they there is this little rule, like whoever, like when they're meeting, they have to hold this shell in order for them to talk, and now that is the symbol of authority and the right to speak. However, as time passes and their hope of rescue diminishes, a power struggle emerges between Ralph and another boy named Jack, who leads a group of hunters. The boys gradually descend into savagery, abandoning their societal values and embracing their primal instincts. They form a tribe and engage in hunting, violence, and even the worship of a mythical beast. Uh, That mythical beast is called the Beast, and that beast symbolizes the darkness within themselves. Now, Ralph tries to maintain order and reason, but he becomes an outcast while Jack's tribe becomes dominant. Eventually, the boy's unrestrained brutality leads to tragedy and destruction. Now, fascinating thing, because there are some key points and lessons to learn. One is the fragility of civilization. The novel explores how quickly the trappings of civilization can be abandoned when faced with primal instincts and lack of authority. Now, that reminds me of a famous quote by Viktor Frankl. Now, Viktor Frankl, he was a psychologist who was sentenced to a concentration camp during the Nazi Holocaust, and he had to work in Auschwitz, and he witnessed just a bunch of atrocities Now, here is his quote. Let's see. The quote that Viktor Frankl constructed for himself inside the the Holocaust is this. The rift dividing good from evil, which goes through all human beings, reaches into the lowest depths and becomes apparent even on the bottom of the abyss, which is laid open by the concentration camp. Now, essentially, what he is saying is that 
there is a line between good and evil inside every human being. And it is the rules that is placed upon society that leads us to be civil. Because if you remove all that stuff, lack of authority, lack of rules, lack of everything, then chaos takes over and there is little to nothing stopping you from going and exhibiting or manifesting whatever carnal desire you have upon the innocent. And in that realm, it is always going to be the bigger and stronger person who is going to be taking from the weak and defenseless. Now, within that quote, according to Frankel, all people have the potential for both good and evil within them. It means that we all have the capacity to do kind and compassionate things, as well as harmful and cruel things. The division between good and evil is present in every individual. Now, one of the things that Viktor Frankl wrote about in his book, A Man's Search for Meaning, is... Prior to the Nazi takeover, the prison guards, the Nazis, those were all like his fellow neighbors. They were the librarians, they were the teachers, they were the truck drivers, they were just the everyday people. Now, after Adolf Hitler, you know, ran his game and convinced everybody that the Jews and everyone who was not uh, white, blonde hair and blue eyes, after he convinced everybody that they were they were the superior race and everyone else was disgusting, sick, and vile, then you had two options. You were either with them or against them. Now, as virtuous and as right mind right minded thinking that we believe that we are, when we are faced with a grave consequence such as going against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis when a rifle is pointing at my head and it says hey you're either going to help us you know round up all of these Jews and lead them into these death camps or we're gonna kill all your family we're gonna torture you we're gonna just rape and pillage everything that you know and love or you know, you can pick up this rifle and go help us kill some other people. Man, you know, that is that is going to be tough. Because it is easy to say that we will do the right thing. But when your baby girl is right in front of you and you have some demons who are ready to rip her to shreds right in front of your own eyes, you might be singing a whole other tune. Now, it's only because we have rules and laws and other guys, good guys with guns and weapons saying that they will protect us from, you know, the evils out there. That is when we are able to stand on our soapbox and preach how good we are, how civil we are, how right-minded we are. But ultimately, until you are faced with those situations and circumstances, you do not know how you're gonna, going to conduct yourself. Now, back in 1972, they did a prison experiment, and it's called 
the Stanford Prison Experiment. I need to make a podcast exclusively on this topic because it it is fascinating. Now, Lord of the Flies, Victor Frankel, and the, the, the Stanford Prison Experiment, they're all connected. Now, this is an archetype between good and evil, and it resonate, resonates within every single human being that has ever been brought into this world. Now, we are complex human beings. We're complex individuals. And man, it is it is fascinating to know that the, the, the best of the good is within every single human being and also the most vile and the most horrible situations and circumstances are within in every single human being as well. Now, in 1971, psychologist Philip Zimbardo conducted the Stanford Prison Experiment where he randomly assigned a group of students to play the roles of prisoners and guards in a simulated prison environment. The experiment was intended to last two weeks but had to be terminated terminated after only six days due to extreme psychological distress and abuse exhibited by the participants playing the role of guards. The study demonstrated how ordinary individuals, when placed in a position of power and removed from societal constraints, could engage in cruel and dehumanizing behavior towards their fellow participants. Now, that's something that the Nazis did to the Jews because they were placed in a position of power and all of the rules and constraints that society placed upon them were removed. Now, when that happens, uh, cruel, uh, cruel and dehumanizing behavior towards fellow people, that is going to rear an ugly head because, man, that is in everybody such as the characters in The Lord of the Flies. They started out all good. They started out with rules and order and jobs and purpose and meaning. And then it de- and then it disintegrated into anarchy, murder, tribalism, chaos. Another real-life example is the Rwanda genocide. In 1994, Rwanda experienced one of the most devastating genocides in history. Sheesh! Over the course of approximately 100 days, an estimated 800,000 people, mostly of the Tutsi ethnic group, were brutally massacred by members of the Hutu majority. The genocide was fueled by long-standing ethnic tensions, political instability, and propaganda that dehumanized the Tutsi population. You know, the Nazis, they also dehumanized the, the Jews. And I guess that it is much easier to kill when your enemy is dehumanized. And you don't look at them as people. You don't look at them as mothers, fathers, people with dreams, goals, potential desires. You look at them as plagues, as a virus, as cockroaches. It is revealed how in the breakdown of social order 
and the absence of authority, individuals can unleash extreme violence and engage in acts of mass murder and brutality against their fellow human beings. Now, these real-world examples provide tragic instances where individuals, when stripped of societal constraints and faced with certain circumstances, have demonstrated the capacity for violence, cruelty, and the abandonment of moral values. They reflect the notion presented in The Lord of the Flies that human nature, when unchecked, can can manifest innate evil tendencies. Now, like I said, I'm late to the party as it pertains to arriving at the Lord of the Flies book release. But man, I'm glad that I, that I arrived. Now, another key point in the book is human nature and innate evil. It suggests that humans, when removed from constraints of society, are capable of descending into violence and brutality. Power and leadership. The power struggle between Ralph and Jack highlights the different styles of leadership and the potential for corruption and abuse of power. Symbolism. The novel uses such various symbols such as the conscious shell, the signal fire, and the beast to represent different aspects of human behavior and society. Loss of innocence. The story portrays the loss of innocence as the boys transition from being civilized, well-behaved children to becoming savage and morally compromised. The influence of fear. Fear plays a significant role in shaping the boys' actions, blurring the line between reality and imagination and contributing to their descent into chaos. That is a, an aspect that the Nazis and Hitler used with the Jews by in, using fear. You know, they would say that the Jews are robbing them of their money. They're taking all their jobs. They're filled with, you know, germs, lice, diseases. Now that they have induced fear, now they have identified an enemy and now they have dehumanized them. It makes it all that much easier to pull all those triggers. And when you have a authoritative tyrant saying, hey, you need to do this, or if not, we're going to kill you. And it makes it all that much easier to kill someone who you already believe is, you know, taking from you, a threat to you, and also filled with, you know, disease. Uh, Another aspect is the destructive nature of tribalism. The formation of tribes and the us versus them mentality leads to conflict, division, and ultimately destruction. You don't need to look far for the destructive nature of tribalism. You can look at simply a professional sports team. Like, for example, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we have the San Francisco 49ers and the Raiders. And you can see tribalism at its finest right there. Go on to YouTube and you can see 49er fans fighting Raider fans. Not just, you know, jokingly, but it's an all-out war. It's us versus them. And after the the game, what do they do? They take off their uniforms and they go back to being civilized people. They go back to their jobs. They are the ones, you know, driving the buses, uh, making the sandwiches, 
you know, just whatever. They are the outstanding members of society because they go back to the societal norms for whatever reason. When you put on your team's uniform, you start to get into that tribalism mindset. And that is within every single human being. Fascinating how the book Lord of the Flies serves as the cautionary tale, illustrating the potential darkness that lies within every individual and the importance of maintaining societal order and moral values. Now, this book, it wasn't a long listen. It was about, I don't know, maybe six hours long, but I listened to it a little bit faster at a 1.45 pace. You know, my mind can absorb all this information so much so much quicker than, than the average dude because, you know what, I, I take my vitamins, I get my adequate rest, and you know, I just got to humbly flex on y'all. Uh, buff body, buff mind, buff spirit, and buff bank. That is it for today's podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and give me a like, a subscribe, and a follow. Don't forget to, hey, if you want to connect with me somehow, look on your app and, hey, shoot me a little a little text. Slide in those DMs and let me know what else, what other books that you think that I might find fascinating. And until then, you know what time it is. It's onward. Always onward. <laughs>